Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I have Shelby Scarborough, who has recently written a really interesting book, which focuses on the meaning of civility and how it can be integrated in everyday life. I read the whole book. I thought it was really interesting. And I thought I ought to have Shelby come on and talk about this book because I suspect there was a reason she wrote this book and why she wrote this book now. So Shelby, thanks for being on today. Thank you so much. And I'd love to tell you the title of the book is Civility Rules. But actually, I wrote a chapter for a book called The Power of Civility. And that was one of the first places that I got started on the subject. And it really, really stuck with me, you know. And so then a few years later, like 10 years later, comes out Civility Rules. So why, Shelby, tell me, why did you write the book Civility Rules? I wrote it because after writing that chapter for the power of civility, I found that the subject was very intriguing. And with the bottom line on it was the chapter focused on political civility. And what I kind of realized in a sad way after researching political civility through the ages, I kind of came to the conclusion that there's never really been any such thing as political civility. It's a bit of an oxymoron. But the fact that we've had this system of trying to communicate with each other, both politically and diplomatically and interpersonally, which is obviously communication through time, is something that has gotten more and more complicated over the ages. Part of it is because we don't live in tiny little villages anymore where we can just reach out and touch somebody. So I thought it was really important to explore how I could bring civility to my world. And that's why I called it a practice of civility, because it's not as if I can necessarily make somebody else be civil, but I can try to do what I can to bring civility to the table in every interaction that I have. You came to this from, you know, you'd had a career in Washington. Tell us a little bit about you, Shelby. Tell us the arc of your life and your career, because I think it kind of brought you to this point of writing this book. Yes, it really did. I started out, my very first job was in the White House in President Reagan's administration in an office called Presidential Advance, which was filled with fun young people who were ready to go save the world and do whatever they could. And we got to run all around the world doing events and things for President Reagan. And then from there, I went over to, in the same administration, I went over to the protocol office at the State Department, which really opened my world up to the realm of the international, I should say. In other words, with President Reagan, we would go all over the world internationally and have lots of great uh, interactions. But when I was in protocol, we dealt with kings and queens and prime ministers and their embassies and foreign ministers on a regular basis. So I really started to get into the diplomacy within the realm of protocol or how protocol adds to our diplomatic efforts. You learned a lot about how to get along with all kinds of people in these jobs, right? For sure. Especially with many different cultures, you have to sort of be able to be flexible. And protocol has a sort of a ring that it's inflexible. And here's the rules. As In fact, my book with the word rules is sort of an ironic title because it's not about hard and fast rules. It's about it rocking, you know, about it being um, important. And so with protocol, these hard and fast rules, if you stick to those all the time, you don't make a lot of progress. So we had to negotiate with every different country because they had different 
things that were important to them, different aspects that really made it impossible to just have one way of doing things. And so we had to learn to negotiate and had to learn to come to consensus. And after that, I started a business called Practical Protocol, and it kind of became a specialty being dropped into complicated situations to either be the mediator officially or just be a mediating voice and help accomplish the goals of whatever the project was. You probably had to deal with nice people. And let me describe them as not nice people. Tell me about what it was like working with some nice people and tell me what it's like working with not nice people in those kind of roles because the stakes are really high. They are. And sometimes we do have a bit of a ranking system here, but there's seniority and things. And so we tend to show deference. At least we did in my day. We tend to show deference to people who were more senior to us. And if they weren't nice to us, that's kind of a hard place to be because you really have to not a lot of room for negotiation there. You sort of have to put up with somebody who's not so nice, but it certainly leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And what's interesting about Washington is what goes around comes around as is often in life in general. And somebody asked me, I think in the um, Clinton administration, a young woman said to me who was working in the White House, you know, you've been there, done it. What would you recommend for my experience in the White House to get the most out of it? And I said, be nice to everybody because it's the right thing to do. And if you're being strategic about it, you never know where somebody's going to end up. So the person that you treated poorly may end up being your boss someday or a congressman or a congresswoman or governor or whatever. You never know. So why would you burn a bridge unnecessarily? So there's both the strategic aspects that make it important to show diplomacy, but there's also just a human factor there that's the most important to me. There's a really interesting book called Kiss, Bow, Shake Hands about sort of different let me describe it as protocol in different societies. And so were there different kinds of assumed protocol or sort of things that you had to be sensitive to that you need to be sensitive to? Are there some cross-cultural sensitivities you need to think about? Sure. I'll use one that's actually kind of contemporary right now. In many cultures, we all have a distance, a bubble around us that's an invisible line of where we are comfortable having people within that. And even within a culture, that line can vary. But say in Asian cultures, they're a more formal culture in some ways. And yet when you're on the subway or in a train or in public places, they can be right up next to each other and nobody cares. And it drives Westerners mad. So (laughs) we have more of a three foot space. Well, guess what happened? You know, sometimes these things change and here comes COVID. And now basically the universal body space is six feet. But I can tell you, if you go to more crowded countries, that space is still not quite six feet. So we have to pay attention to the cultural norms, even within our own cultures, and be sensitive to someone else and what their preferences are. Do we always have to do what somebody else wants? No. But you need to be aware of it. Correct. I don't watch a lot of television, but Mrs. Rundy convinced me to watch this miniseries called Tehran about an Israeli spy who spoke Persian who was embedded in Tehran, super risky thing. And in the West, thumbs up means thumbs up. But in Iran, thumbs up means something else. And so there's a moment where they're stopped by some border guards in this Jeep and she's like trying to wave and get along and she does a thumbs up and the guard flips out as like, I guess it's the equivalent of like the middle finger, I guess. And so he flips and they almost all get kind of arrested and it's like really bad and they have to bribe the guard and it's a total collective mess and kind of spins a whole bunch of stuff out of control by just her doing a thumbs up, you know? 
So these are things that are so core to us. Sometimes we do them automatically. And I can imagine the challenge for somebody like in the CIA to really master that and to be embedded someplace. It would be very intriguing to me to see what kind of training they go through for that. There's a story that goes in World War II that American soldiers who were embedded as Germans in Germany were sitting at a table and they were found out because they put their hands in their laps. And in Europe, you put your hands, when you're sitting at a dinner table, you put your hands on the edge of the table. You don't hide your hands. So we hide our hands. We were taught to put our hands in our lap when we're not eating. And that gave away their identity. There's some real importance to this kind of stuff, to the protocols, but that all wraps into the bigger picture of civility, which is trying to understand how best to communicate and get along with your fellow man. What's the difference between being civil and being nice? So civility has a deeper connotation to me, and that's what I talk about in Civility Rules. I use George Washington's Rules of Civility as a basis for this document, for this book. And he goes into 110 rules that were translated from French etiquette books. They're funny. Thou shalt not stand so close so as to bedew a man with one spittle. Well, again, in COVID times, doesn't that become even more important? even though the words are a little off from our the way we speak these days, but the sentiment's the same. But I took all of those rules and tore them apart and put them back together and realized that funny or not funny, out of date or in date, they all come down to some basic things. So my premise here is that civility is much more than just being nice. It's about honor. It's about living an honorable life. It's about that people can respect you. Living a life that you can earn respect living a life that is courteous to other people, to your fellow man, your environment, to yourself. It's about trust, building trust with other people. It's not about you trusting me. It's about me being trustworthy and earning that. And so that's what I go into in detail is how examples throughout history and throughout my own experiences with Ronald Reagan and some other people to bring out some examples of that that really illustrate why those are important and how they make up the whole sum total of the subject of civility. Okay, so for example, there's been this recently this fist bump between Liz Cheney and Joe Biden. And she said, look, he's not our enemy. He's my political adversary. But if I need to be civil and say hello and make up, be polite, what's your reaction to that? I sort of took her side on that. I was like, yeah, that all makes sense to me. If he want, they want to do a fist bump, that's actually good. We need folks on both sides of the aisle to be able to communicate with each other. Absolutely. And that why burn a bridge if you don't have to just out of spite? I mean, what to what end does that get us? It's a dead end, really. And it doesn't promote open conversation. And this is what the main point of this is, is to be able to communicate with each other in a way that we're heard by the other person or we hear the other person or party. That's the ultimate goal is a communication skill so that we can think about it come to the plate with humility and be able to have a real conversation and not get on our defensive ends of things. It seems simple, but if it were, everybody would be doing it. So what role does civility play in democracy? Was there a golden age of civility in politics? You said something earlier that not really. You know, I, we could probably find some better times than worse, maybe. But, you know, even at the founding of this country, there were hefty arguments about how things should be presented, how, you know, how things should be worded in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. And that was healthy debate. Now, I'm sure it got kind of ugly and personal sometimes. They apparently got through it in order to finish these documents and become the United States of America. I heard a man named John Harmer. He is 
recently passed away. He was the Lieutenant Governor under Ronald Reagan. And I heard him speak at a board meeting I attended for the Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge about a year and a half ago. And it really hit me when he said that civility is necessary for democracy because without two voices in the room, there is no democracy. And I wrote this closing chapter on July 4th, a year ago. And that's one of the things I focused on. I called it my love letter to America. And I really, really went into why I think this is more important and a bigger subject and deeper and more important that we pay attention to the topic of civility than just thinking it's about being nice to somebody. Being nice isn't the point. Yes, it's nice to have a pleasant conversation, but the main point is to be able to communicate each other's positions well and come to some sort of consensus or at least respect for the other person. So we've got this whole digital age. It strikes me as like there's a lot of temptation to leave anonymous comments and say mean stuff. My father wrote a book. And he got like 30 comments. One of them was anonymous and probably was somebody that he knew and wrote something mean. He got 29 nice ones and he got this one mean one. It was like it allows for anonymity. And sometimes people can play with that a little bit. How do you react to that? Yeah, it's I was going to use the word shameful, but I don't like the thought of shaming people. But it isn't civil behavior in any stretch of the imagination. So it's sort of like, you know, writing something in the old days of putting it under your pillow before you send it, and then rereading it and then have somebody else edit it and edit out the emotion and that kind of thing. It's probably a good idea. And if it isn't nice, if it isn't productive in some way, it really doesn't belong out there. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And a friend of mine named Michelle Woodward has a great blog, and she wrote something on somebody's comment. She said, digital courage is not real courage. And I thought that was an interesting way of saying it. I would go so far as digital courage is much more in common with liquid courage than actual courage. So it's a false front. It's not really something being brave. It's somebody actually being not brave and not helpful. I don't understand the point of it. So how do we put Humpty Dumpty back together in terms of having a better civility in our political culture in the United States? I have some cards that I printed up because I I don't know exactly what to do. I would like to, you know, yes, read the book and think about it. And if it resonates, great. But really, I would just be nice to sort of see if that we could get a movement going, meaning everybody buys into some part of it so that before they yell at the person who cut them off in line or cut them off at the stop sign, Maybe there's some reason. Maybe they are just rude and inconsiderate. So let it go. But maybe there's some other reason they did it. We just don't always know where somebody's coming from, that old walk a mile in somebody's shoes. We can't do that all the time. But what if we could just imagine and give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt? So this is about a practice of civility. And I give some examples of things, but it's sort of listen to learn and don't worry about speaking first or getting your point out if we're doing it to really learn something, then in the end, it kind of doesn't always matter what our opinion is, although it's a lot easier to share our views if we've been willing to listen to someone else's. People don't like to drink from a fire hose that people are pouring down their throat to say, you are a bad person if you don't think the way I do. That's never, ever, ever going to get us to the middle. Okay. You talk about the golden rule, which is a good one. What is the golden rule? And what advice do you have for sticking with the principle of the golden rule, even if it's not reciprocated? So the golden rule is fundamentally treat others as you would like to be treated. What I discovered in the process of writing this book is I always thought of it, I credit it to the Bible. I do too. Yeah. But if you go back in the back of my book, there's two pages of 
the golden rule as written throughout the centuries from different perspectives, mostly from different religions, but some from just pure philosophy or wise people who've said something similar, but it has appeared forever. And so to me, there's something to it. There's something fundamental to it that if we start with that, that we can make some progress and it's so simple and it's age old, tried and true. These aren't rocket science things. We just have to step back a little bit and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and be willing to have some compassion and try to understand. Doesn't mean we have to agree. I think that's the problem. Everybody wants us to agree with each other and that's not necessarily ever going to happen, but we might be able to get closer to consensus on something. You make the important point that civility is not a matter of avoiding topics. This is to this point but respectfully engaging with them. How should people approach sensitive or polarizing topics while remaining civil? This is hard. It's very hard. I am a member and a former leader of the Entrepreneurs Organization. It's called EO, and it's a derivative or a sister organization to something called YPO, Young Presidents, which many people know. In our forums, which we have once a month, small groups, and in our organization in general, use sort of a way of speaking to each other, a protocol of speaking to each other that includes listening to learn asking clarifying questions. It includes not giving advice ever. It means sharing experiences versus giving advice. And I think that's just a lovely, simple platform. It helps us all communicate well with each other. Entrepreneurs in general don't like to be told what to do. I know a few of them and I'm one of them and nobody really enjoys that, I don't think. So it's a great way for us to have a common platform of understanding of how to communicate. And I think that this can be brought up into the homes with discussion around the dinner table, the old fashioned way, or family meetings, which are great things to say, this is how we want to show up in the world. And bringing humility and compassion and courtesy to the world is not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean you're being defeated. It doesn't mean you're giving in to something else, that you're not living to your ideals if you're civil. Okay. So you talked a lot about in your book about examples from President George Washington, President Reagan. What are some parting lessons from each of them that you might share with our listeners? So George Washington, one of the things there is that he was a work in progress his whole life. You know, he was constantly learning and growing. And so he came to the world with a great deal of humility, which I feel is really the kind of the anchor of this whole topic is intellectual humility. Knowing we may have confidence, it doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It means that you have enough humility to know that there is a possibility that I could be wrong about what I'm talking about. There is a possibility that civility is bunk and nobody should listen to it. But I feel very strongly based on what I've done, that this is a really reasonable approach to having a philosophy of life and a practice that to live up to. People can dispute me on that. They have. Some believe that we need to be tossing bombs and having riots in order to make change. I think civility is a longer path, but it's one worth trying. George Washington came to that with the same thing. He had just gone through revolution. You know, I mean, he saw it in action. And so at the same time, he treated his troops with dignity and respect. They treated the opposition with dignity and respect when it came to capturing them and things. There was some civility even in war, which is hard to believe sometimes. And then finally, Ronald Reagan, the same kind of thing. He used humor, which is very tricky. And most people, I don't recommend it. I'm not very good at it. (laughs) Meaning, you know, some sarcasm does not translate well in most languages, but he used it as a way to be self-effacing, to show his humility and to point out his own flaws in of being a human, which is basically admitting that we all have flaws. As great a leader as he might have been, he wasn't perfect either. No one is. 
And so if they both could understand that they are human and they need to keep working at being a good human, I think maybe we can too. Okay. So Shelby, your book's called Civility Rules. If I want to go online and check out this book or buy it, you have a website. Tell us what your website is. My website is shelbyscarbro.com and you can go to Amazon directly if you'd like to, too. I really hope that what this spurs is a bit of a movement if possible. And I had printed these cards, which again, I wish I had right in front of me, but they're plastic cards to hand on to somebody that you see engaging in an act of civility, or you feel you want to say, I really acknowledge this. And the idea is that on it, it says, now it's your turn. If you find somebody engaging in an act of civility to pass the card on. And I just, for me, it's my small part in trying to help start a movement. So if I go to your website, do you have those cards online or something like the little script? They will be very soon. Yes. The Shelby Scarborough website. The book is called Civility Rules. That's correct. Well, Shelby, thanks so much for doing this. This is just so great. And I so appreciate it and very grateful to you. I'm grateful to you. Thank you for helping to spread the word. Absolutely. Thanks, Shelby. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 